You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Howdy, everybody. Hope you're doing okay. I am here to bring you another awesome discussion of people who are creating stuff within the independent music scene, whether that's hardcore, metal, emo, punk, whatever it is. They're, maybe they're putting it out. Maybe they're documenting it in some way, because that's what we did for last week's episode. But uh, I have Joseph Rowland from Paul Bearer on the show, and it makes me very excited to say that because I have loved Paul Bearer. They're probably one of my favorite bands in the 2010s that came out, and I just I remember listening to their first full-length, Sorrow and Extinction, and just being like, yo, this band is not only are they firing off all cylinders, but they are just like doing the thing that I love about music the most long songs, super jammy, creating a vibe. And like, that's, that's Paul Bearer to a T. So if you haven't listened to them, please stop this episode, check them out. And you will, your, your appreciation for this conversation will be enriched. And they actually have a new record that is coming out called forgotten days. It's their first release on nuclear blast. And I've heard the record and it is a, a mammoth piece of work. So I'm excited for you to be able to check it out. You can, you know, pre-save it and stuff like that. And wherever, wherever you listen to music and, you know, you can pre-order vinyl, all that fun stuff, but all the singles that they've put out so far have been crushing. And, uh, yeah, I just want you to listen to that. Hope you're doing okay. I am, <clears throat> I appreciate all of the, uh, well wishes that you sent to me on my birthday, which was last week. I appreciate that. I am now like uh, officially over the hill, they say. I'm 40 years old, so uh, it's weird to say that because, yeah, I think most people feel much younger than, or maybe maybe you feel older. I don't know. I mean, I think most people, as long as their, their body isn't uh, hurting or breaking down, I think most people feel younger. And I, I put myself in that camp. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, you know, in my 30s or whatever. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, I'm, I'm over the hill, as they say. Or I don't think anybody says that anymore. But thank you very much for the well wishes. And you can also email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Always love to hear from people on that. And then you can also tell your friend, loved one, whoever it is that cares about independent music, you should listen to the show because that's the only thing, that's the only way that this thing grows. It's not like I'm paying money to market the show, you know? It's like, no, this, if you're here, you're here for a reason. And I appreciate that. Not to say that there's anything wrong with paid marketing, because, you know, clearly that's a thing that people do. I'm just, you know, I want this thing to grow on its own. And, uh, you know, I don't need to, I guess, spend my own money on it, even though I spend a lot of my own money and time on it. <laughs> Anyways, I uh, was so excited to have Joseph on this because Paul Bear is an interesting band. They're from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. The members now live in a bunch of different places, but um, I don't know very much about Little Rock, Arkansas in regards to the music scene, and Joseph was able to uh, educate me highly on it, and there were so many interesting things that I, I just did not know about the scene, so it was, uh, it was a great chat, and then we obviously talk a lot about Paul Bear, his own personal experience, and um, yeah, it was a great discussion, so... Let's, let's, let's listen to it and stick around. At the very end, I will, of course, tell you who is up for the following episode next week. Okay? why so many people got drawn to Paul Bearer in the first place is because it felt so uh, fully lived in when in reality, you know, it was like, Hey, this is essentially our first, you know, not essentially, this is our first full length. And like, you know, yeah. it, it just felt, uh, it felt, I guess, wise beyond your years, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think at that time too, I mean, it, that record is like a, a byproduct of how we were living. I mean, we, it was, like fast and loose, but also like a pretty like depressing time too. Like we, I, I know Brett and I were like both going through some pretty harsh realities. Like during the, during the like early formative years of the band, like my, my mom was terminally ill and the band was just kind of like what I was like pouring all of that energy into to like try to like, have something that I actually, <laughs> that I actually looked forward to. So, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, that was just kind of like part of it. Like we, we spent basically like every day, like when I would get off work, like 
we would get together and we were either like talking about music or listening to bands that we were like interested in like some thematic element or like sonic element or playing. I mean, it was just like all enveloping pretty much. And then like, just like essentially partying ourselves into oblivion to just like avoid the, you know, the, the actual ramifications of what was happening, like in our, (laughs) in our lives outside of that bubble. Sure. Yeah. It was, it was something that you felt like you had, you probably couldn't articulate at the time, but that you had some control over, you know, you have control over the songs that yeah. you're writing and, and it, yeah, it was like very out of control, but it still was felt like it was the one thing that we did have control over. And we were like very, very immersed in it. I think like looking back at those times, I mean, it was just almost like an all consuming thing. We spent basically like all of our time devoted to some component of, like shaping what ended up being Paul Bear and that first record. Right. Right. And I, I think that does, you know, it probably speaks also to, you know, the age in which you guys were, you know, cause essentially you were in your whatever, you know, early to mid twenties when that stuff started to, you know, kind of matriculate out there. And, you know, if yeah. you're, you know, when you're 15 and 16 years old and you're putting out your first full length, like, you know, most people look back at that time and are like, wow, I'm really embarrassed about that. But, um, you know, they're, a lot can happen in those years, you know, good and bad to where you can at least be slightly more confident in being like, Oh yeah, well I'm not, you know, playing in a dumb punk band or whatever. I mean, everybody (laughs) needs to play in a dumb punk band, obviously, but you know. Yeah. I mean, I, there are certainly things about the record that like I can look back at and be like, man, I really like wish we had known like what the hell we were doing at all. <laughs> sure. Like there are things about the recording that I'm just like, I can't believe that like, there's just like a whole section where like guitar is like not even in tune, but it's just kind of like what makes the record sound like it does. Like all of those, all the looseness and like mistakes kind of somehow created something that I think had it been, actually like produced in a professional way by people who knew how to play, then maybe it wouldn't be as good somehow. Yeah. I don't know. The happy There's accidents. something like very raw about it. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think, you know, when you combine those elements of the, you know, the unprofessionalism and happy accidents and things that you didn't mean to do. And like you said, in yeah. retrospect are like, Oh gosh, like why did we do that? Or why, why did that thing happen that way? But then it's like, well, that's like the people's favorite part of the record or whatever. And it's like, okay, well we can't control that. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I thinking back, like we didn't even like get our guitars set up or anything before we went in to record. Like it was like, we didn't even know that that was the thing you were supposed to do. We just like brought in, I think each of us only owned like maybe at most like two guitars a piece. I think I, I, I brought in one bass that I played because I think my other bass was broken and I was just like, all right, well, this is the only one I have. It doesn't really stay in tune, but I don't have any other choice. I'm just going to play it. Right. You're like, maybe I'll put some new strings on it. (laughs) I don't even know. I I think I might not have been able to afford new strings. (laughs) I I kind of remember at one point in, in my life being like, man, I can't believe bass strings cost like $30. Like, I'm just going to have, I, I remember I used to take them off my bass and boil them. If they started to sound too dull, I would just like take them off and like try to get all the, like any kind of sweat or gunk off of them by throwing them in a, in a pot. Wow. I, <laughs> I had, stew. Yeah. I, I had not heard of that hack. That is very, <laughs> in, that's very interesting. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I guess necessity is the mother of invention, but wow, that's wild. <laughs> I don't remember where I learned that. I, I remember either somebody telling me that they did that or maybe I read it online or something, but it works. It definitely got me through some, uh, through some rough times. Yeah. That's uh that's impressive. <laughs> well, um, l- looking at you, you know, as an individual, I, I mean, I know like you were mentioning you know, the Arkansas connection and you-, you were born and raised in Little Rock, right? Or was it one of the surrounding areas? No, I actually, I'm not a Arkansas native. I was born in Bloomington, Indiana. Ah, and okay. I relocated, uh, my, 
my mom's family lived in Arkansas and my parents and I relocated when I was 10 to uh, South Arkansas. And then I ended up moving to the Little Rock area to go to college. So that's how I ended up in the, in that zone. Although like by the time I was in high school, probably around, I think as soon as I got my driver's license, I had started taking the like three and a half hour trip up to Little Rock to go to shows. Sometimes if I, if I found out that there was a, a show that I was interested in enough to make the drive, I would do it. Like I remember going to see, uh, I think the very first show that I ever saw in Little Rock was at Vino's, which is still there. As far as I know, that's still, I mean, obviously there aren't any shows right now, but right. Uh, still going strong. And uh, I, I saw a living sacrifice at Vino's. And yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought them up because it it is, you know, Little Rock has always been such a weird city because the, you know, there, there has been a scene there, but it, it, and you know, Vino's is clearly like, you know, the most, uh, I guess, legendary venue in that area, but it it really hasn't, uh, you know, gone the way of so many other sort of like Midwest cities where it's like, it's not like you can necessarily say like the Little Rock sound and people get it. Whereas like, you know, if you talk about Louisville, you're like, Oh, I can kind of right. like, you know, have an idea yeah. of where it's coming from. But Little Rock has always been this sort of pass through. And it, it, you know, there are bands that have, you know, clearly come up in there. But uh, it, so it's interesting that you mentioned the fact that you would drive to Little Rock to, you know, go see shows. Whereas, you know, there were probably other cities that were, you know, maybe not closer, but like in the same vicinity that you probably were driving to to see shows as well. I did. I, I lived in a very rural area, and I don't. I don't know of anywhere else. This was kind of at least like before. It was easy to find out about shows on the internet. I sure, definitely sure. had dial-up <laughs> internet at my house. But uh, I, if there were any shows that were closer to me than Little Rock that I was interested in at all, I, I didn't have any way of finding out about them. I just didn't know the right places to look. Maybe I know there were. There was a, another city, like not terribly far from where I live, like maybe an hour, that uh, was a college town that probably had some punk shows or something. But I just did, I wasn't privy to <laughs> right yeah. to when or where they were happening. So. Totally, totally. I yes. was kind of stuck. Like Little Rock was like my one kind of beacon on the horizon for music that I wanted to see. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. Cause yeah, they're definitely, you know, you have to find your way through different layers of like, Oh, I know about the shows at like, you know, the bigger places. And then, you know, once you uh, yeah. start to find out the different channels in which you can find out about shows where it's like, Oh, okay. Like I didn't know they had shows at this library for years. Like, Oh, okay, cool. But <laughs> I just didn't I guess know. I, I, I wasn't intrepid enough to like figure out that I could probably find like more DIY stuff. I, I didn't have any friends that were into punk or metal or anything like that when I was in high school. So I was kind of just like left to my own devices to figure out how to ingest those things or participate in those things. So I like, I don't know. I don't even remember how I found out that there were shows in Little Rock to begin with, but somehow I, I, I found out that Vino's had lots of shows and I I started going there like every few months when I could afford to drive and, yeah. didn't get too much grief sure. for my parents or like making a seven hour round trip <laughs> to, to like what they considered to probably be like a pretty suspect place. Totally. Yeah. Like they, they would, they would drop you off there, go have dinner and then like pick you up afterwards or whatever. Oh no. I, I was making the trip solo. You, okay. You were okay. They were giving you a yeah, the car. Okay. They, got, it, got it. I, no, I, I just like, I had my own car. Uh, it was kind of a, piece of crap but it, it was able to make the drive so i would just like blast the tunes for, <laughs> for like three hours sure drive up probably listening to living sacrifice like on the way to the show of course and then listening to it on the way back right of course yeah, <laughs> yeah. you, you got to get hyped up for it totally <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so uh, like you said you lived in a you know rural area and you know most people kind of 
look at the, you know, rural upbringing as, you know, you running barefoot through rivers and, you know, kind of like the, <laughs> the Huck Finn lifestyle or whatever. Is that, uh, is that reflective of your experience or is that something that is just, you know, out of, uh, you know, the, the work of fiction that many people, uh, Oh, I, I mean, there were, I would say that there were definitely people that probably would, uh, be, they would like to go for that lifestyle, but because I had grown up, in what I considered to be a more metropolitan area, I was like very not into the rural lifestyle. Even though Bloomington's like not a, not exactly like a, a huge like cultural hub or anything. I just like my entire childhood. I I think I was just like, like mildly resentful that I just got like plucked out of somewhere that I thought was cool and had to like live in the woods pretty much. So right, right. I don't know. <laughs> And did you, um, you know, what did the family structure look like? You know, mom and dad in the house. I mean, I, I know, like you mentioned, you know, your brother or your mother was, uh, you know, battling a terminal terminal illness. Was that like from the very onset of your life or was that something that, you know, happened a little bit later on? No, she, well, first of all, uh, I'm an only child. So it's just, just us three. And then, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer when I, like after I had left to go to college, I think, uh, my second semester of my freshman year was when she first got her diagnosis. And then she passed, uh, it been a couple of years after I graduated from college. So she, she went into remission a couple of times, but eventually she, she passed in 2009. So got it. Got it. I graduated from college in 2007. Okay. So she had, she still had like periods of like being a little healthier, but yeah, that, that our family dynamic was just the three of us and she wasn't in poor health, like through both, like most of my childhood. Got it. Got it. And so, yeah, I mean, that makes sense left to your own devices. Like, you know, I, I mean, I identify with the only childness cause I myself don't have any brothers or sisters and you really mm-hmm. do like, I, I really like that experience just because you do, you're devoid of context. You're just kind of stabbing around the dark, not having anybody <laughs> to be able to like bounce stuff off of. And you're just like, well, I like this and I like this. And it's like, nobody's going to tell me. I mean, you know, maybe my friends are going to say like, oh, that's dumb or whatever. But at the end of the day, like I don't go home to them and they're not going to make fun of me you know, when I get home like a brother yeah. or sister would. Yeah, I think that that like, that's sort of like what ended up driving me more towards like, the extreme and music in general. Like I just, I didn't have anybody out there like telling me otherwise. And I guess I just, I got really curious about like how, what weird stuff could get. And just at that point in time, I was like, I somehow figured out how to get a hold of some like punk zines and stuff. Like I was actually like, I was trying to remember one of the first ones that I read. There was this magazine called The New Scheme that I was a, I was a really big fan of it, and I got it in a I got it for free when I ordered some records from No Idea. Like they had their like oh yeah like vinyl and CD yeah. distro. Yep, their mail order catalog. And they yep. used yeah they they used to just like throw in a bunch of like free zines in the in the box whenever you order stuff so i would basically like just buy whatever sounded cool from the reviews and those and just i think that's like sort of like what led my my journey from like basically like not knowing the difference of whether like Lincoln park was good or not to like being into like actual like metal and punk and stuff like that <laughs> right, right, right. Well, especially too, like, I, I think I like that you had that, you know, experience of mail ordering stuff and getting these random things that were included in, you know, the order, whether it was like a sampler CD or like you said, zines. Yeah. Cause I, I think that. Oh my God. Yeah. The samplers were, were oh. a huge deal back then. I remember like sometimes there'd just be like one song on there, but I'd be like, holy shit, this is like exactly what I've been looking for. Right. Like even like across like a whole genre or something and be like, this is amazing. Right. You're like, wow, I really like the swarm and combat wounded veteran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how I, I, that's like kind of what my first introduction to like, I guess like doom metal or like heavier stuff like that. Cause I, I found out about floor floor. Sure. Through 
no idea. And I, I remember ordering their self-titled CD and being like, I, I can't believe how heavy this is. Right. Yeah. Do they, they're, are they playing guitar? Cause like this doesn't even sound like a guitar. <laughs> what blows my mind is apparently there's no bass on that record. It's just guitar. I know. And it's, it's that heavy. It's, yeah. I like to this day, I can't believe that. Right. It's like their, their, their strings are tuned so low. It's like, how do you, yeah, even, yeah it's unbelievable. But that, I, I really like that. Cause like, again, it kind of it speaks to the devoid of context. You're just listening to the music for what it is. You don't know if it's related to like a scene or, you, you know, it's not playing yeah. the radio. That's like the extent of what you know. Right. And then being able to kind of navigate it from there. And so what kind of, what kind of kid were you, uh, you know, as you started to kind of develop an identity in high school and everything like that, did you, you know, I mean, clearly music was, uh, something that you were very interested in, but, you know, did you find yourself gravitating towards, uh, sports at all? Or were you into, you know, like being, getting good grades in school? Like where were you? Uh, I, I definitely wasn't into sports, (laughs) at least not. Well, actually, no, I take that back. I wanted really, really badly to be good at basketball, but I was never any good at it, really. I'm just, like, not coordinated enough. Like, I, I I went to basketball camp when I was, like, 13 or something like that, and I remember being extremely bummed out because I <laughs> I didn't score, like, the entire week. <laughs> <laughs> like, any time there would be, like, they'd like form up like teams and you had to do some kind of like, like three on three or something. I like didn't score a single time the entire time. So I think that was my signal that I needed to like give up my, uh, my dream becoming a basketball player. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. I, I think that, uh, well also rewinding a little bit. uh, I, when I was like, I think like six or seven, my, parents enrolled me in piano lessons and that was like a very uh at least like a very like time consuming part of my like later childhood up until I was probably like 16 or so I was like doing like piano competitions and stuff like that so I I would say that I would like generally classify myself as a huge fucking dork when I was (laughs) when i was a kid sure i was just like not uh I, I wanted to be cool but it was very very not cool and i think like over time i like figured that out and just kind of like decided that i was going to like get into like playing other kinds of music because i got so burned out on playing classical piano for hours every day but uh yeah i was i, I don't think i was like a very cool kid yeah you're like i right i I like i always do like the the concept of you know when you realize your limitations as a kid where it's like you have these ideas of things that you want to do and then you run into the wall of like you know your example of basketball and just being like oh so that isn't my thing okay what is my thing like where where do i go it's like, man, I'm I'm great at shooting three pointers, like in my backyard. But as soon as I get like on a court where there's some other people that I'm, yeah. I'm actually playing against, I'm toast. Yeah, worthless. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, oh wait, a guy could block my shot. Oh man, this is terrible. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so you were just kind of you know rooting around, you know, playing classical piano, understanding that music was an important part of your life. Uh, I'm gonna guess that you know your parents probably weren't. Uh, musical in the sense of, you know, hey, check out these records and like, here's this this stuff that you can get into. It was very much just, you know, you were hanging out. Yeah, well, there's, there's kind of like a, a long and convoluted story around that. Like my, at, at some point in time, like I, my, my family was like very religious and like my parents decided that I wasn't allowed to listen to any like quote unquote, like, like music with a beat anymore. Okay. Like it was like evil or something. And so that's, that's sort of, I think around that time, that's like when the the classical music started to be the, like the only, it, it, it either had to be like classical music or like, like church music of some kind. And so I think that like also kind of eventually like informed my 
my rebellious stage to like get away from being forced to listen to like only music from previous centuries. Uh, <laughs> sure. And uh, yeah, like at some point in time, like when I was, when I was a teenager, I like figured out that I could like tune into a, a college radio station that played all kinds of like alt rock stuff at night. And so I would just sit up at night, maybe not every night, but I feel like it was pretty frequently. Like I would, after I was supposed to have gone to bed, I would just like sit in my room with headphones on and listen to my stereo, like tune into that station. If I was able to get it to tune in well enough. And I would just listen to like whatever they had playing. And sometimes it was, sometimes it was cool. And it's stuff that I look back on and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm really glad that I like thought Smashing Pumpkins was cool when I was a kid. But then it would also be like garbage sometimes. Not not the band garbage, but just like <laughs> right, right, really right. crappy, like like really, really like C or D grade, like new metal stuff, like rap metal stuff that I like now. I probably would like be pretty tickled to hear, but it, it was like not objectively good. But at that time I was just like eager to hear like anything that was that seemed kind of like transgressive and and different and like that had had like a heavier edge to it in particular sure sure. that seemed like something about that to me like i don't know it was like very alluring well especially too i guess maybe because it was like the opposite of like what i was supposed to be doing like yeah not only was it like you know secular but also it was like not even like the normal stuff that you would hear on a regular radio station. It was like way like darker and stranger than that. Yeah. Well, the forbidden fruit idea where it's like, okay, I'm told that this thing is weird and off limits. uh, So I'm going to try to find the logical extension of how weird I can find it without, you know, like (laughs) offending my sensibilities of just being like, Oh no, that's too dark. I can't get into that or whatever. Cause yeah, I, I remember like during that time of like, like hearing, Godflesh, and I remember like thinking that like because the name seemed like sacrilegious and the music was so heavy that I was like, this has got to be like the most extreme thing that I've ever <laughs> I've ever encountered. Yeah, it's got to be like, yeah. Oh, for sure. No, it definitely. <laughs> yeah, when you have these these bands that are you know uh, pressing buttons with a purpose, you know, from Godflesh, whatever, Cannibal Corpse, you can go down the list, and then you're just like. Oh my gosh, like I can't, you know, entrails ripped from a virgin's cunt. Like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, you know, it, it doesn't even, it can't even compute in your head because you're just like, I, is this even music? Like, this is crazy. But yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying, where it's like the, you're going to get attracted to that stuff because, you know, especially coming from a sort of religious overtone, uh, when you get that barrier put in front of you, you're like, nah, I'm going to try to find a way around that. <laughs> interestingly enough i don't i somehow like didn't really get much exposure to death metal like in my like random fumbling around as a teenager that's just something that i like didn't hear much of like i i I don't know if it was just like my like my ignorance but i i I know that i really liked at the gate right that's but i don't remember like i don't even remember listening to cannibal corpse or anything like that until after i had like i I would have been like late high school maybe or maybe even like when i went to college i just don't remember having much exposure to that yeah yeah for sure and i mean the the yeah it's like you find these weird places where you get exposed to it it's like you know i remember how big the book you know lords of chaos where it's like you know talks obviously oh yeah yeah and it's like I I mean, I remember reading it and I just remember having very little context for these bands. Like I knew them by name, like Dark Throne and Burzum and stuff like that. But then reading the book, I'm just like, oh, wow. Like some of these bands I probably shouldn't listen to, <laughs> but, some, but some sound absolutely incredible. You like band merch, right? I like band merch. I'm obsessed with band merch. I have hundreds of band t-shirts and I've sold a lot over the years, which I actually, there are times where I think about shirts that I've sold and I'm like, Damn it, I shouldn't have done that. You need to go to rockabilly.com because they will outfit you in the best band merch around. So many items, you can't even begin to scratch the surface. If you're if you're spending less than 10 minutes on their website, you are just like 
barely scraping the top. So first of all, use this code PC100Words. That gets you 15% off your order, and you are able to uh, get that discount. That's the only way that you can get that discount. So please use that code. Helps out the show. Helps you. Helps your bottom line, your pocketbook. Pocketbook, like anybody uses a pocketbook. But it's all officially licensed stuff. No horrible bootlegs. Fast shipping, independent company from the Midwest. They've been in business for 25 plus years. They know what they're doing and they have so many awesome things. Like, you know, it's getting into fall. You should start thinking about your long sleeve collection, your hoodies, all of that stuff. I love Rockabilia so much. Support them. Use the code PC100Words, rockabilia.com, 15% off, okay? Again, PC100Words. Let me save you money, okay? Visit rockabilia.com and have fun. And so as you started to, you know, uh, kind of figure out what your, I guess, life would look like, I mean, clearly you took the step into college and stuff like that. What was the sort of vision as far as like, hey, you know, what is Joe going to do as he, you know, grows up and gets a career and all that sort of stuff? Well, I, uh, I was very fastidious about my grades <laughs> when I was in college. I wasn't like, I wasn't much of a partier, uh, I ended up getting a double major in writing, which was like focused on linguistics and then also television production. So I, I actually ended up getting a job like right out of college at PBS. I was uh, oh, cool. a producer at PBS for a number of years before I finally was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna like try to do this Paul Bearer thing full time. Nice, nice. And what what is so, your yeah. what did your uh, I guess parents do for a living? Uh, my dad was a uh, was like the head of IT at a number of companies. Like interestingly enough, he like kind of got a he found like a niche of like doing it at like chemical companies and like. He also worked for like an oil company for a while, but he was always doing IT stuff. Got it. And my mom was a my mom was a teacher, but she actually like didn't work for like most of my childhood. She was just a stay at home mom. Sure, absolutely, taking care of you, making sure that you know you didn't get too mm-hmm. rowdy rowdy on the piano. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and once you, you started to bring a lot of this weird stuff home. I mean, I'm sure you kept most of it to yourself and, you know, weren't talking to your parents about the weird music that you were into, but you know, like once you started to venture out and, you know, I I mean, I can understand them allowing you to go see living sacrifice because of the, uh, the Christian connection. Like, Oh, this is a Christian band. Like it's the music sounds, you know, evil to you, but they're Christian. Um, how how did they? I think re- that's how I was able to sell it, dude. I'm like, just, like, <laughs> dude, cl- classic <laughs> classic move. <laughs> so how how did you uh, you know I guess how did they react to you starting to you know uh, I guess get into this stuff that you know clearly they had no understanding of or context of. That's a good question. I always like I I remember feeling like my mom was like really really like disappointed that I was like drifting so far afield from like what, like what they had hoped that I would be like as a person. But then I was also like very conscientious about my job. And like when I was in school, I was like, I did well in school. And like, I just, I don't know. I think that I like basically like tried to basically like prove to them that I, I wasn't just like a total degenerate. <laughs> like, like, I could basically live a lifestyle that wasn't quite what they agreed with, but they would kind of look the other way because I wasn't right. You right. Know, like you, causing, you know, I wasn't like a, a somehow like a, like a, a dark spot on the family or something. I don't know. Yeah. So I was like successful. Sure. In some right. Sure. So, well, a lot of the times too, that comes from a place of, you know, they don't understand it, but ultimately most parents are just looking at their kids and being like, I just don't want you to end up, you know, like homeless in the gutter, you know, like whatever the yeah, right. the logical conclusion of that thought process is. And it's like, well, you know, I, I mean, I guess as long as you're like happy and you have a place to live, like that's okay. 
Yeah, they just, I think uh, over time, they just sort of grew accustomed to the fact that I wasn't going to be a super straight-laced, like, you know, normie guy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Just, I think that, like, they came to terms with the fact that that just straight up was, like, not what I was going to be like, so. <laughs> right. They're like, okay, well, <laughs> we we, uh, we have to get used to this idea, so we might as well embrace it. It was it was exactly what they feared when I went to a, a liberal school. They were they saw me transform into a, a a godless monster right before their eyes. Sure. <laughs> was there was there a strain of religion? Was it uh, I guess like Baptist? Was it you know what what sort of uh, I guess branch does it fall under the uh, the Christianity tree? I uh, I would I would say it uh, it kind of fluctuated over the years. Like it through points in my childhood, it was like straight up just like something like much more extreme than that. It was like what I would consider to be a cult. Like the, there's this thing called the like Institute of basic life principles. Whoa. This is, this is is new to me. I've never Uh, heard of this before. Yeah. It's it's an interesting read. I, I realized recently that I think I had uh, sort of blocked a lot of stuff out of my memory. Like just because not, not because like, something like bad happened to me in like a, an abuse sense, but just because like at the time I was like, this is some of this stuff is like, so like weird and strict that I just don't think it can be, this doesn't seem right to me. But, uh, I, I did some reading, like apparently like the main guy that was like kind of the, the founding leader of that sect or whatever, like got called out pretty hard for grooming uh, young women in the last like five years or something. He got like, I don't, I think it was like outside the statute of limitations, but he like 30 people came forward or something. It was like typical like cult leader shit. Yeah. Where, you know, there are all these like really strict rules, but behind the scenes, he's just like running his own like, like cabal of <laughs> like having all these like girls to choose from or something. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. that it started out there. It kind of like eventually drifted into like somewhere kind of like in the Baptist realm, just because that's like, we ended up down in South Arkansas and like my mom wanted to go to the church that she went to when she was a kid. And so it just kind of, it, it got less extreme over time. Yeah. I think like, perhaps like corresponding with the fact that I was also like <laughs> becoming like less compliant with the, the stricture of the, the rules. So sure. Sure. No, that that's uh yeah. I mean that, that is a experience. Like when you go through something that is, you know, has some semblance of religion, but then it doesn't look or mimic like anything else that anybody else is experiencing. And it, it has this, you know, singular leader and like, you know, all of these cult like movements have so many of the same beats that are hit. And so I can understand where you were like, yeah, I don't want to remember most of this <laughs> because there's nothing. Yeah. Positive. There was, there was some strange stuff that like, I, I remember like going to this big conference with my parents and like, they were like all day, like going to lectures and stuff, but I was like, at like, essentially like, you know, like it was, I don't even know what you would call it. Like a, like boys day camp where they had us like marching around like soldiers and stuff. And like, they made me rappel down like a 40 foot wooden wall. And I remember being like so terrified that I was shaking <laughs> when I had to do it. And like, I, they like made me do it. It was Jeez. actually kind of fun. Yeah. By the time I made it down to the bottom, but I, I'm like really, really afraid of heights, so it was terrifying. Yeah, like, that's awful. That's yeah, awful. I don't know. It's just like weird, weird stuff like that. Where I'm like, I, when I started reading into it recently, just because I was like, I want to know like what's up. Like, did anything ever happen with this? Like, what is what is this like classified as? And I was like, oh wow, yeah, it is legitimately like considered to be a cult, and the guy. <laughs> that was like the head of it is like at, at minimum has been like heavily ostracized <laughs> and basically like disappeared from society. 
Because he's yeah. a fucking creep. Right. Yeah, yeah, Good, good. Um, and so when you went down, like, you, you know, joking around, like, once you went to, you know, Central Arkansas and, you know, moved down there and started going to school and, you know, really got your head kind of cracked open to be able to, you know, start to experience more than what you had been previously experiencing. And, you know, clearly th- that was kind of the, uh, you know, incubation period for, you know, Paul Bear and all of the, you know, earlier musical projects you were doing. Like, did you, pl- did you play in a band in high school at all? Or was, cause from what I understand the pre, I guess, Paul Bear project, like sports, and I guess still technically mm-hmm. that sort of exists or does that, is that a, a yeah, moniker it, now? We, we never, uh, we never broke up. We, uh, we actually played a show, last year for the first time in like over 10 years there you go just for fun yeah. like we did there was like a little like fest in little rock and we we played like a, a quote-unquote like reunion show but we never if the band was like always like totally improvised so we're like we might as well just like improvise whether we exist or not too right uh but no to your uh your question like yes i was in a band in high school and it was called nope <laughs> nice like the, the dumbest band name ever. Uh, it, was, it was like essentially just a couple other kind of like slacker guys. Like one that I like met at my job. Uh, I, I worked as a lifeguard at the YWCA. And this guy was like a little older than me. And he also was a lifeguard. And then uh, his buddy was his buddy played guitar and he played drums and like his buddy i actually am still friends with nowadays like i don't talk to him here and there and he coincidentally uh last i knew he actually was like working for gibson in nashville so nice he actually like stuck with something like music professional related to but uh yeah it was like kind of like I don't really know like what kind of music it would be. It was basically just like sort of somewhere between like Velvet Underground and like uh, I don't know. I, I don't even want to like make it sound cool at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, usually, usually <laughs> it was it sounded it sounded awful. Right. Well, yeah, usually you, I mean, the, the bands that you try to, you know, emulate are, are the ones that you are trying to play to, but it doesn't actually mean the thing you're, you create sounds like it. You know, you could be like, oh yeah, like we want to sound like Godspeed, you Black Emperor meets Neurosis. And then you're just like a bad punk band. And <laughs> it's like, what, what are you talking about? I I have some vague recollection that like, Nobody, I don't remember anybody in the band actually really being able to play. And I definitely remember that I would try to like do like slap bass, like during like any song. And I think we had like maybe like three or four songs that we had come up with at some point. And like they always had some kind of slap bass component. <laughs> so, and then at some point, this is, I think this is probably like the highlight of that band. They told me, that they were breaking up. And so I was like, all right, we're that's, that's fine with me. And, and then they like reformed without me like, like two months later or something. And then they asked me to be in the band again. <laughs> so, wow. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Oh, was, okay. Uh, I usually, yeah, usually, was, usually people do the whole, uh, break up and reform thing, you know, to be like, all right, well, we don't really want to tell our close friend that we don't want to play with them anymore. Right. So we'll figure this out. But then they I, ask you to play. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I totally understand them like breaking up and reforming without me because I, I think I was making like something that was already not very good, like way worse. <laughs> but, uh, right. Uh, but I, I, to this day, I still don't know why they, why they asked me to, to join the band again. That's funny. Cause I definitely didn't make it better when I, when I rejoined, <laughs> I just made it. Yeah, you just, made, just it, made it worse again. Worse, <laughs> you just brought it down again. That's great. <laughs> um, and so, so you know, what, once you kind of had that that you know experience, and then once you had the you know uh, the the connections that you started to make going to college, and you know putting Paul Bear together and everything like that, um, you know, when you I guess when you started taking steps out towards that, um, did it feel? Um, 
I, you know, for lack of a better term, I guess like more serious because, you know, like you were saying, every waking moment that you were involved in that you could participate with the band you did. Uh, so I'm going to guess that just by sheer function of time, you guys were taking this, I guess, more seriously than you ever had with, you know, any of your other previous musical projects. Yeah. And I think a big part of that for me too, is like when I met Brett, he and I just like clicked musically really well. And I had never really played with somebody else that I, I felt like, like together it created like a, something greater than the sum of its parts kind of. And so he and I have collaborated on a lot of stuff. Like since we met like 15 years ago, like we've, we've played in various iterations of different, different things, but mostly sports and then Paul Bearer. Got it. But before, uh, before there was sports even, uh, we also had like basically been writing some sort of like neurosis, ISIS kind of stuff, I guess. Honestly, it was like not terribly different than like what Paul Bearer ended up sounding like in the early stages, at least just more, taking more influences from like older bands instead of stuff that was contemporary. Sure. Not that we were at all like contemporaries with, <laughs> with them at that time. It's just stuff that we like contemporary in the sense that a little more that was, recent like, the stuff that we really, we, we really liked the sort of like spacey psychedelic, like po- post metal stuff. Uh, yes. It was more like in vogue at that point. Sure. Sure. Um, and kind of, you know, kind of going back to that whole, you know, once you discovered, you know, Little Rock, like having a scene, you know, once you started, you know, attending shows at Vino's and, you know, once you started participating in it, like you were mentioning with, you know, Wake and a lot of those bands in that time, you know, I mean, my only knowledge of bands kind of prior to that, like really, I mean, like Econochrist, like <laughs> there isn't, mm-hmm. there isn't much that has gone on there. So what do you kind of... um I mean, from a national perspective, like, of course it could be happening locally, but it just doesn't break out nationally. Um, can you kind of point to maybe why that, uh, sort of existed? Cause I mean, even though there has been, I mean, you know, whatever evanescence, of course, came from little rock, which came from, you know, <laughs> which came from living yeah. sacrifice as well. But like, is there a particular reason that you could maybe think of that? Why I guess more bands haven't really, you know, quote unquote broken out of, uh, you know, little rock, or is that just kind of, you know, a function of that particular scene? I think that it's just hard to, to get out. Like there's just, no one is looking to little rock or to Arkansas as like being a, a hotbed of marketable bands, I think like, and it, you know, that's just, regardless of like whether or not one wants to <laughs> to think about music that way. It's just like, it's a small pool of talent. Like most of the bands there are, they share members and a lot of people, I mean, like people in those bands are like, I would say a hundred percent, like all working class and don't necessarily have, the the time or capability to like get out into like a more like national stage situation yeah like it's just it's just really really fucking hard to get out of little rock i think just like it's no one it's like nobody really cares about little rock i don't think and unless you're able to like go like play in new york or play at south by southwest or something like that there's just nobody paying attention and it's true it's you know no it's a very good point and i I think also you know when uh, a scene per se doesn't have like a defined sound like we were talking about at the beginning like they're you know it's difficult to kind of be like oh wow like unless there is like a groundswell of bands that all kind of sound alike or if a record label pops up there that's starting to do the thing um because i mean using no idea as an example like gainesville like there, no one could have looked at that besides the fact the town is inhabited by a huge college and be like, oh yeah, all of these bands like, you know, <laughs> Asuk and, uh, you know, Hot Water Music and all these bands would all exist and the record label, like no one would predict that. But, um, yeah, yeah but it, it's like, I see what you're saying where it's like the, 
there is a support locally, but it hasn't been so fleshed out to where it makes it easier for bands to kind of be able to have that launching off platform to get on a national scale. Yeah. None of the people that are, that are really into the scene, like it's, it's just all kind of the same small group of people. And like occasionally like a, a new person or two will come into the scene, but it's, it's not like it's this like burgeoning thing. It's just sort of like always staying about like about the same size. And there's just not anybody, I don't know, there's not enough bands either, I don't think, to like really like for somebody to be like, oh man, something hot is happening in, in Arkansas. You know, there's usually only like, only like a handful of bands playing or recording at the same time. You know, it's just like one band will kind of, they'll kind of like make, They'll, they'll come up on the scene and they'll play and then they'll, that'll dissolve into like another band or something. And just like a lot of, I can think of a bunch of bands in Little Rock that have like just kind of like evolved into something else that are, it's like most of the same people, but minus one or two, two people, or it's like a, an amalgam of like two bands that kind of stopped and then made something new. It's just, that's what's happening all the time. There's just not, I don't know. There's Yeah. No, I get, I, I get it. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, I there's know, not but, a lot of culture happening in Little Rock either. So it's sure. not, there's just not a, any reason. I, I don't think like no one is like scouting out for like Little Rock to be the, mm-hmm. the next, the next hot spot. Sure. No, it makes sense. Um, so I, kind of on, on the idea of, you know, once Paul Bear started to get to, you know, put together and, you know, you were, uh, you guys were starting to see some, you know, momentum in that as far as people paying attention to, you know, what you were doing. Um, for you personally, when did Paul Bear, I guess, feel, uh, for lack of a better term, like real, where it was like, oh, wow, like, you know, this, these press outlets are covering us. These, you know, shows are happening. Like we have a booking agent, like all this stuff is, is happening, uh, in ways that, you know, clearly, uh, I have never experienced before, um, in all the previous musical projects. Uh, so what did it kind of feel for real for you? It can be something, you know, really simple where it's just like, Oh yeah, like playing out of town and having 10 people show up at our show. Um, you know, wh- wh- when I say that, what, what kind of uh, shakes loose in your memory? I think that like, if you want to talk about like the full scope of that, it's probably like once Starwood Extinction came out, like things just sort of felt like it went up to like a, a much bigger level then, like, and just kind of never really like, it didn't like plateau and start going back down. It just sort of like, that's, that's where things really took off. But, uh, before that i mean there was still there was definitely like a little bit of like buzz around like when we just had our demo out and i i remember like when we we played this festival it's like the first big thing that we had ever done that where there were like more than 500 people there or something like that we played in san antonio and we were kind of like a a relatively last minute addition to the lineup because a bunch of international bands like didn't get their their visas in time or like didn't get their, there was, there was I, long story short, like the festival was a complete disaster <laughs> on a lot of levels. Uh, sure. So we got added to the bill, like maybe like a week before it happened. And then I, I remember there being like, Holy shit. We're like playing, in front of like an enormous room of people and we don't even have a record out. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And like people are like, people are like really, really stoked to see us. This is like really something different. Right. Yeah. So I guess, I guess we got to take this seriously. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, so how did you like touring as you first started to do it on, you know, the, the level that you were, you were doing it at, you know, which, you know, very much was, you know, DIY and, you know, it's not like you guys, uh, your, your first trip out was on a bus or anything like that. Um, so, you know, how did, how did you enjoy that experience once you started to get out? I've always really enjoyed it. I, I don't know. There's something about just, even though there's a, 
an intense amount of monotony to like part of it. Like, I, I don't know. I just, something about never knowing what's going to happen from day to day. If you can like remove any major stress elements, like the van breaking down or somebody getting sick and you have to like learn all the, all the vocals to the song, like last minute or something like that. Then sure. I enjoy it quite a bit. I, I, I know that there are like elements about it that can be frustrating at times, but I like in those days, like we, yeah, I mean, we, we bought a, bought a van for like a thousand dollars off Craigslist or something. And then we toured all over the U S like probably put at least maybe like 250,000 miles on top of whatever was already like whatever the van was already at, like without any major problems, which was unbelievable. So, I mean, that was just, we were just kind of like flying fast and loose back then and like not really, I don't think like caring too much about like what happened other than just like making it to the show and like having a good time. Sure. Yeah. Hoping that we got paid. (laughs) Yeah. There's no, uh, you know, there was no pressure per se. It was just like, Oh yeah. Let's let's see where this goes. I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, it was just like, Holy shit, we're doing this. Like we're actually like going out and like every place we go, there are people, they're stoked to see us. Hopefully they might not be stoked after they see us, but, uh, (laughs) they might be disappointed that they saw us, but, uh, (laughs) right. You know, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just a a lot of it like felt very surreal and exciting. And I like to this day, I still like, there's like something like really invigorating about it to me. Like I never, I never felt like I got burned out on it. I know that like, everybody's got different feelings about it. Like I know that like some of my bandmates, like like Brett having to sing every night, I know that it like is a different level of like wear and tear on him, but you know, it's, you know, you're like, I'm just, I'm just the basis man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, back when I used to, at one point I, I definitely did like the majority of the driving and that I would only sleep like maybe like, three or four hours a night and then be driving I'd like sleep in, in the van. Like we would all sleep in the van and I would just like sleep for a few hours and like wake up and like keep going to wherever we needed to go. So it was like, it was definitely rough. Like we were, we were like living like very like, like rough shot, I guess. Sure. Very (laughs) handy. Very raw. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. We were, we were definitely like just, I mean, it was for us. It was just kind of like Arkansas style. Like it, it was very like DIY. Like, don't give a shit. Like, whether it's fancy or not, we're just gonna like get there and make it happen. Yep, makes sense. Um, a few last things before I let you go. One of them is the fact that you know I, I usually find with bands that are you know whatever kind of typified in your genre, uh, the sort of emotional you know message or resonance. Uh, gets really glossed over for, you know, most people focusing on like, oh, dude, like it's so heavy or it's so prog, you know, like just those, the I guess the musical elements of it, which is fine because, you know, different people find different, uh, uh, different things out of the music that they consume. But I, I think, you know, what's always drawn me to uh, Paul Bear at large is the fact that they're is an emotional context. It's not, you know, this is of course making gross over generalizations about bands, but it's like, you guys aren't talking about, you know, smoking weed and, you know, killing people and, you know, just like whatever the stuff that, you know, so maybe some bands in the past have sung about. Um, so there's an emotional, uh, ness to the band that I think, you know, kind of separates you from a lot of the other bands and, you know, gives an added layer of complexity. And I know you, you're, you know, not the lyric writer, but, I, I am. You're, oh, well, I, then screw me. I, Little do I know. I don't write, I don't write all the lyrics, but I, I you like, contribute like 50, 50% of them. That's great. Okay. So, I, I mean, does that, does that kind of, uh, I guess, resonate with you? What I'm saying where the fact that, I mean, you're the lyric writer, so of course you're going to agree with me, but like <laughs> the, yeah. just uh, the, the balance that you're trying to strike where you are 
creating the music that is, you know, powerful, but then you are also trying to back it up with something that is, uh, you know, meaningful. Uh, I'm going to guess that it is a priority for you. Absolutely. I mean, it, to me, that's like intrinsic to the band. And also, I mean, that Paul Bearer was like born out of the necessity to express that. Like the music is like an, particularly like the earliest uh i mean it's just like absolutely an expression of grief and like dealing with with loss uh yeah i mean to me it's like it would be very difficult for the band to exist without the music like being tied to emotion and usually like not a positive (laughs) emotion but it's, I mean, that's one thing that we've always kind of, I mean, I know this, this is something that a lot of musicians will communicate, you know, it's like there is a, like inevitable catharsis in expressing those negative emotions into your music. Like it, it helps like take the burden out of, your, I guess, like out of your mind and into an art form. Sure. I guess all of art is that, but. Well, you know, yeah, but I I think it's, you know, it's a really different thing when, uh, you know, kind of, and again, you know, very making very large generalizations here. There are certain genres of music that don't get, uh, you know, appreciated or uh, shine on a particular element of that art. You know, Uh, I mean, Uh metal as, you know, (laughs) an overall genre people don't pay attention to the fact that a lot of this is, you know, not rooted in, uh, you know, non cliched emotions. Cause I think, uh, I, I mean, I guess you could say that about most music, but, um, and especially with the type of music that you guys play, it's like, you know, for a 12 minute song, there's like 10 lyrics or whatever. I mean, of course I'm exaggerating, but you know, they're <laughs> just that idea that like, Oh yes, you, you can have something to say, even though you may not have, you know, eight minutes of the song with vocals over it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just careful composition, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. You know, yeah. if, you, if you don't have very many words, say, say exactly what you want. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> and those few, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that you're right. That like a lot of metal, you know, people draw generalizations as like, you know, like sword and sorcery kind of stuff or gore themed or horror themed or whatever. I mean, there's, there's lots of things out there that I think that like kind of lack any kind of emotional weight, but you know, that's, that's just like not, not what we do. Yep. Right. Our wheelhouse is definitely more into the like, it's like expressive end of the spectrum. It's usually like most of the songs are, uh, about conveying, uh, you know, usually like a pretty like focused meditation on some particular theme. Sure. And it's usually like dealing with how one feels about, you know, some aspect of yourself or like the loss of something. Yeah, no, for sure. It makes sense. Um, the uh, the last thing I want to hit on was uh, you, you live in New York now, right? Yes. And so, you know, I mean, clearly bands can exist, you know, all over the country and then be able to, you know, rehearse and practice and, you know, write and so many different avenues. Uh, what kind of pulled you a- away from, you know, Little Rock and being located in that area? I had wanted to leave for a long time. I like I definitely had never intended on making that my permanent home. Like after basically after I had graduated from college, I like had the intention of eventually moving away. And then for a long time, I mean we we were able to make it work long distance with no problems, but you know, that's kind of like a new challenge that we're gonna be facing, you know in the months ahead, just not knowing like, you know, how like safely and easily 
I'll be able to like fly or, you know, take some mode of transport to meet up with the guys. So it's, that's something that we're going to, we're going to have to figure out, you know, yep. whether it's going to be like, you know, making a like multi-day car trip or flying and potentially like having to quarantine down there. I don't know. Cause it's, it's, it's presenting like a, a, a massive amount of stuff to at least <laughs> consider like what it's going to mean going forward. So. Joe, thank you so much for hanging out and spending time with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been fun. We've been able to make it happen regardless of all the uh, technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> it, w- it wouldn't be a Paul Bearer related thing if there wasn't some like, massive technical problem <laughs> like right at the beginning. That's so. perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, we got, we got through it. <laughs> Okay, that was Joseph. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Monica, who is his publicist who helped this along. I remember I hit Paul Bearer up in like, gosh, 2014 or something like that to be like, hey, can you come on the podcast? And they're like, sure. And then we just never hooked it up. And, you know, that that happens sometimes. But six years later, here we are. Next week, I have Chadwick Johnson from 100th. He's actually a repeat guest of the show just because, frankly, I love 100th so damn much. I love their reinvention of sound. And this new record of theirs that's coming out later in October is an even further exploration of their own sound. And I had to have Chad on because, you know, I just, the last time we discussed their band was like, gosh, I don't know, it's like three years ago. They were on Warp Tour and a lot has changed for them. So had to have Chadwick on and uh, yeah, that's what we got next week. So until then, please be safe, everybody.